So when I was in high school, first couple of years of college, whenever I would come home, my dad would take me golfing with a friend of his that was the vice president at, at UPS. And I loved golfing with Clark because he would always tell me UPS war stories, you know, stuff going on in the trenches. And I loved uh, one story he told me that uh, one of the things he does is he tells employees that if you're going to go to a meeting, you need to be at the meeting five minutes early. Wouldn't you agree with that? For those of you who have people, you're at the meeting, sitting down, ready to go five minutes early because if you show up on time, you're late. And so what Clark would say, those of you who have ISTJs, uh, personalities, you're like, yes, yes, let's go. So uh, it was funny. Clark uh, would have um, uh, meetings with his direct reports, and then he would have people that actually would fly in from all over the country, very important people. And they would show up to meetings late. So he told everybody, you show up to meetings five minutes early, sitting down, ready to go. And he started this practice that at five minutes, he would look around the room and he would look at his watch. And that literally, let's say this meeting was to start at 9 a.m., everyone's sitting down at 8.55 in the morning. He would walk over to the door and lock the door. And one time, there was like some major employee, I, I forget who he was, my dad would know, that would try to get into the meeting, and Clark was like, sorry, nine o'clock. And that, that was perfect for the values of UPS. Now, for UPS culture, if you had to pick one word that would describe the UPS culture, lean over to the person next to you or the people that are in your room and share what would be the best word that would describe the UPS culture. There are probably a number of words. I would say probably timeliness, dependability, and that's because, hey, if we're paying money to ship a package to Missouri, we want it there on time when we said we, we wanted it there. Um, there is a, uh, a thing that was installed outside of Google's headquarters, and it was this. Can you show that picture there? Tyrannosaurus Rex. Now, someone that is a paleontologist will probably say, that's not a T-Rex. I think it's a T-Rex. But why do you think Google had a T-Rex erected outside of their headquarters? What's their value? Lean over to the person next to you. What is the value at Google? You would say something like innovation, where UPS is a lot like the military. You get orders and you keep those orders and it's about dependability and timeliness. Google is about innovation. If we don't innovate, we're going to become like a dinosaur and people will bring chairs out there. Are these the chairs? I'll get those later. Don't worry about it. Can we uh, give a big round of applause to Robbie and Eric there? Come on, take a bow. Take a bow. There we go. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the culture of what our church should be, what it is in the culture, what it should be that we're trying to live up to. Uh, Peter Drucker, a business author, used to say all of the time, culture eats strategy for breakfast. 
Culture eats strategy for breakfast. How many of you have worked someplace? They had a great plan, but it was a terrible place to work at, right? Because it was just a bad culture. Like you didn't, the environment just wasn't a healthy culture. The passage we're looking at today is all about culture. And let me go ahead and read it. Luke chapter six, verse 43 begins. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, take the plank out of your eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Uh, I asked you to uh, sort of identify what you think would be the best word to describe the UPS culture, the Google culture. What I want you to do right now is I want you to pick um, a word that you think best describes our CCV church culture. Go, do that. Do it, do it there. Our church has nine values that we identified way back at the very beginning. These are hills we're willing to die on. Every church needs to have the same mission statement. Same mission statement. It's the great commission. Go make disciples of everybody that's not a disciple. But each church is gonna be different. It's gonna have its own unique personality. Our values define our personality, what we're, what we're going for, sort of the culture. And so let me just list them really fast. Biblically based, the Bible alone dictates what we believe in practice culturally relevant, evangelistic, church planting, community. This life change happens best in community with other Christians in circles, not just rows. Discipleship, excellence, stewardship. And then the last one is grace. We will foster an environment of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Now, my question to you is, was that in your mind when you felt that you identified CCV's value? Um, we get our value of grace off of this passage. Let's take a look at it again. Why do you look at the speck of dust? It's a speck of dust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. Now, Jesus, uh, in, in Greek, it was a tekton, uh, Jesus was a contractor. Maybe you're a contractor. You have subs that are working for you. You're a builder. Jesus, every town, every little village in Hebrew is kephar. Every, every village. Jesus lived as an, as, as an adult in kephar Nahum, the village of Nahum. We call it Capernaum. And so in every kephar, every village, there was a builder. And if you wanted to build a home, you could build it for free. All the materials were on the ground, right? But what you needed is someone that had the expertise to do that. And that's what Jesus was, what his dad was and what he was. And so what you would do is you'd get all your friends and relatives and you would get them together and you would just build this house in a matter of a couple days under the direction of this contractor. And that's what Jesus was. So Jesus traveled all over Israel. Uh, everybody asks, how did Jesus get to meet all of these people in the gospels? Well, 
for 30 years, he was a contractor. And so he worked at all of these booming cities, Tiberias, Sepphoris, and Jerusalem, as a contractor. Anyway, Jesus knew building materials, and he also had a killer sense of humor. And so when Jesus wanted to get this point across, he said, why do you go and find this speck of dust in someone's eye? And they're like, crap, man, I can't get it. Can you see this? Can you? And you're like, hold on. Yeah, I'll help you. When what you do, and as a builder, he uses the word for a floor beam. You have this floor beam in your eye and you're walking around. Uh, I have this picture here. This is sort of what what illustrates it right here. You're like, hey, dude, I got something in my eye. You're like, hey, don't worry. I can help you get it out, right? And it's, it's, Jesus is making a joke in this passage. Like, how hysterical would it be that someone has this massive floor beam in their eye trying to help someone that has a speck of dust in their eye? So Jesus said, you hypocrite, take the plank out of your eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So the point that he's making is our focus needs to be on our own faults and on other people's potential. How many of you, is there someone here that doesn't have enough stuff going on in their life that needs to be fixed, that they have plenty of time left over? Hey, let me help you. I have my stuff going. I'm awesome. So let me share some of my awesomeness with you. There's not a person here. And if there is a person here, if you wave your hand, you're the perfect illustration of what we're talking about. Jesus is talking about an environment of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Um, I led Christ, a uh, lead singer of a band, and I got him to come a few times to a Bible study I was leading. And I'll never forget, we're at this Bible study, and we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. This is a guy that has groupies coming up to him after the show, and and we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we hit that section that talks about adultery. When Jesus is basically making fun of the Pharisees, they're like, you guys make such a big deal about adultery. And yes, adultery is terrible. It will, it, it's a nuke that's dropped in a family. But you guys don't commit adultery and you think you're amazing, but you are committing adultery all the time in your mind because you are having sex and threesomes and all kinds of things going on in your mind that no one else knows about, but I'm God and I do see it. And so you guys are concerned with the externals and those are important, not having affairs. But you yourselves in your minds are having affairs in your minds. As we're going through this passage, my friend is there and he yells out the S word really loud and everybody starts laughing. The S word, as you know, starts with an S, ends with a T and says hi in the middle. And it's really loud and he says it and everyone starts laughing and I laugh too. Now, if I was going to be like the Pharisees, I'd have been like, wait a minute. Swearing is, is not allowed for disciples of Jesus. We're to cut that out and we're in a church gathering and he would have been shrinking in his seat. Imagine if in the middle of the meeting, I turned around and I corrected him about swearing, and then I hopped in my car and got on 422. And I get cut off in traffic, and I say the same word. 
And that's what Jesus is saying. Now, if he kept swearing, I'd have had absolutely no problem pulling him aside at a bathroom break and say, dude, knock it off. Come on. But in that moment, it was so pure. It was this pure discovery of, oh yeah. Like it's not just enough for me to not have sex with groupies. Like when they pull their shirts off in a concert and they're on someone's shoulders, I need to not have eye contact with them. As Job says in the Old Testament, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look lustfully after a woman because adultery begins in the heart before it becomes something else. If I had communicated immediately with him, no cussing, I would have, what value would I have communicated? I would have communicated that's more important for people to conform on the outside than it is to bring lost and broken people like all of us into our gatherings. And we have been a part of churches like this. This is not to say that cussing is something we can do. There are standards. But our environment needs to be where we look at our own faults first. But when I look at you and I look at other people, I see nothing but potential. I I can see Christ being formed in you. Um, Can I tell you why this matters? I don't know how many of you have kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. A couple years ago, I was talking to one of our um, female leaders in our student ministries that had helped out both with junior high and high school. And she said, I'm kind of struggling. I don't know if you know this, but a lot of girls in, in our, that are coming to CCV, they're having boys text pictures of their private parts to them and saying, can you send me pictures? These are boys that are 11, 12, 13, 14, all the way up through high school. Girls are getting groped. They're being pressured. They're being sent pictures. Let me pause there and tell you about something else that happened, then we'll go back to that. In 1996, I went to the Pontiac Silverdome to a large convention. It was called the Promise Keepers. It was a dumb name, but it was a really cool event. It was all men, Christian men, getting together to keep seven promises. One of them was sexual integrity. And one of the, um, let me pause here. One of the speakers brought out four chairs. That's why we had Eric and Robbie bring these out. I just forgot to bring them out. He said, have you ever heard that verse in the Bible where God says, I will punish the sins of the father to the third and the fourth generation? We're like, yeah, we've heard that. If you've been around church world, you've heard that. That in the Old Testament, repeatedly across the Old Testament, God says, I will punish the sins of the father to the third and the fourth generation. In other words, how we take that on the surface is this, that the father does something and then what he does is he passes it, on, passes it on to his son or daughter. They pass it then on to his grandkids, the third generation. And then it's passed on to the great grandkids, the fourth generation. 
And a lot of people read the Old Testament and we're like, what a jerk. Why would God punish this person and this person for something that they're doing? And God's like, that's not at all what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that when you have a deeply rooted sin in your life that's causing incredible pain, as well as will cause pain to other people, there is something called generational sin where this person will pass it on to this person. It won't be broken. This person will pass it on to this person. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, that there are situations where your great grandfather and mother created situations that were painful for your grandparents that affected your parents that now affect you. All right. So I'm at this gathering and as he's explaining this, he's saying, whatever pain, if you're right here in this seat, whatever pain you're going through, you can look back to your parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents. And then he said, in this convention, we have 55,000 men. I think it was 58,000. And what we're going to do is we're going to take this chair and we're throwing away the chair. Oh, I hope I don't break the equipment. So he takes these chairs and he starts tossing them. That I'm, Eric, I'm not going to bust your guitar. Robbie, I'm not busting your guitar. But he started throwing these chairs. And he started talking about, this is going to stop with us. Whatever you're going through, what we're going to do is we're going to end that thing. Now let me get back to the story of the young women that are in our church that keep having young men send penis pictures to them. And asking them for sin, pictures of their breasts and of their other private parts. The Apostle Paul said in the book of Titus, the second chapter, the older women are to mentor and teach the younger women. And the older men are to mentor and teach the younger men. And then it's just one line. Teach the young men to be self-controlled. What is he talking about? We all know what he's talking about. Self-controlled in every area of their life, but especially on the island of Crete, where sexual promiscuity in the treatment of women was so bad that when you build a house, you would say, huh, what are we going to do? Are we going to do brick? Are we going to do siding? Oh, what we need is we need a Herms. H-E-R-M-S. Google it. It is a statue of a man with his genitalia. My daughters have given me a list of words that I can't say in a sermon, so that's one of them, okay? And what is to happen is that in the church, older men are to teach younger men how to be self-controlled. But here's the problem. The problem is that if young men do not feel confident enough starting at 11 and 12, all the way through high school, if there's not an environment where they can actually talk about, I want to have sex, I want to have it every day, and it doesn't matter what, I will do it. They need to talk and be taught how not to do that. And the reason they're not being taught is because of crappy church cultures. 
men who never tell the younger men when I was your age, gosh, if there was phone, I would have sent penis pics too. If I wasn't a Christian. And so what Jesus is saying is we have to create a culture where people are free enough to be honest about what they're struggling with. If you have a young man that you're raising, are you talking about these issues? Are you talking about these struggles? These struggles are not going to go away. <laughs> uh, one of my youth leaders was teaching. We were, I was at this, our youth group was meeting. Um, and uh, my friend Brian Marshall, Marshall, if you're watching this, you remember, this was so funny. He, they were doing a series and they got to the topic of the M, M word. It's on the list of words that I cannot say in church. It's what someone might do alone. It's the M word. So, no, if I say it, I'll get in trouble. My wife will kill me. I can't say that then my daughters will. But <laughs> Marshall, we're in, we're, in, we're, in a, we're in youth group. And we get to this topic, and he says, the M word, the M word. Bad idea. Don't do it. Any questions? Good. Let's go on to the next one. And it was so funny because we were like, oh, please, Jesus, don't allow him to bring this up. How incredibly embarrassing, but life-giving it would be for a young boy who's going to find out about this on the internet. Older men, when we ask you to be group hosts, we need 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 year old men to mentor junior high boys. That's what Paul's talking about. We need people who are going to be group hosts. So we're having a meeting right after the service, right? And we want you to stay. By staying, you're not committing to it. But what we're asking for is just for you simply to gather around a group of your friends, and I, I'm, I have a men's group, and sit down and we're going to provide the questions, but here's what I want you to do, whether you're in a leader group or not, I want you to do this. Everybody right now, I want you to take your chin, I want you to put it on your chest. This is a sign of submission. I take your chin and put it on your chest. Every single time you have someone doing something that you think that they ought not do, you're going to take your chin and you're going to look at yourself. My friend Darren, when I was in high school, pulled me under his wing. I was not a Christian. He befriended me over a period of four years. After I graduated from high school, I became a Christian. He mentored me. I remember being in a Bible study and him starting to talk about these issues. But he waited till me and my friend Dave were together. And he brought up the M word. And he said, Brian, do you have a problem with lust? And I was like, bro, uh, new. No, we're not talking about this. But he said, you know what? Can I talk to you about my struggles first? I've had struggles with this and struggles with this and struggles with this and struggles with this. And because he was willing to take his chin, put it here, focus on himself first, and to talk about his faults first, it opened the door for me as a young man to be able to, oh yeah, well, yeah, I got it. Yeah, when I'm at the beach and I see this beautiful woman in a bikini, it's really hard for me not to. Yeah, I was able to do that. Whatever issue that you're struggling with right now, in some way, shape, or form, 
If you grew up in a non-Christian family, you're sitting in this chair. You have a parent that wished their parent had addressed it and that parent wished that this person would address it and it's going to stop with you. Let's pray. We're so incredibly thankful, God, that church is not UPS. And when we mess up, you don't lock us out of the door. That this is a place of grace, of forgiveness, of acceptance, and second and third, fourth and fifth and 100 chances to start again. Not that sin is an incredibly painful, not that we make light of it, but we take ourselves less seriously and we take you very seriously. And so we ask God that you would raise up young women and men, older women and men to host conversations where people can be real with what's really going on in their lives. And they can feel safe and loved and accepted and pushed towards you. Help make this happen, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.